0: Welcome to Consumer Adventures. My name is Giorgio Pasqualetto, and in this podcast, I bring you behind the scenes of emerging challenger consumer brands. Today with me, I have Tom Watkins, co-founder at Mighty P. Mighty offers a range of plant-based milk alternatives, which are high in protein and free from any nasties. There's so much I want to ask Tom today, so let's get started with the interview. Welcome, Tom, and thank you for joining me. How are you?
1: Hi, Giorgio. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
0: My pleasure. So Tom, I've given away a few information in the intro, um, but why don't we start by introducing properly your product to uh, our listeners? Um, the main benefits, the main points, the main features and what makes it amazing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm, I'm obviously the co-founder to Mighty. So we make a, a range of plant-based milks, primarily with yellow split peas. Um, And I suppose what kind of separates us from other dairy alternatives out there is um, a few different things, really. Primarily our nutrition. So we have a a kind of phrase at Mighty that anything that dairy can do, we can do better. So we have the same protein as cow's milk, for instance, in all our range. Uh, We have twice the the calcium of cow's milk and we fortify with things like uh, vitamin D and B12. So kind of a really nutritious, tasty uh, dairy alternative milk.
0: That's very interesting, and obviously the um, milk alternative space is a booming at the moment. And I find it very interesting that you are focusing on the nutritional aspect as well, where the consumers might have um, some doubts um, around. For yeah, example.
1: A- absolutely. I mean, typically, um, in fact, pr- pretty much for for all of time since dairy alternative milks have been going. Other than soy milk, um, the majority of plant milks have no protein in them. So things like almond or oat or coconut all have, you know, next to no protein. So nutritionally, nutritionally are pretty poor. And whilst they might taste fantastic, a lot of them are quite high in sugar too. So things like, um, I won't name any brands, but a super famous oat milk, whilst it tastes delicious, is is really high in sugar and quite low in protein. So, so exactly that. And Mighty's kind of, you know, Probably started to fill that gap really for you know a really delicious tasting but nutritionally smart dairy alternative.
0: Absolutely, that's such an interesting space to be playing in. And I know that on top of the nutritional side of things, another very important aspect uh, of the product is sustainability. Um, I know, for example, that um, on your website the consumers are able to compare um, your products to dairy products normal dairy products uh on a few sustainability measures um can you tell us a bit more about what you have been doing around sustainability
1: yeah absolutely i mean it's literally kind of one of the bedrocks of everything we do at MyT, Um has a sustainability focus so we track everything from kind of um farm to fork or I suppose here you'd say kind of farm to glass from sure. you know mm-hmm. our, our environmental credentials and that's tracking everything from our kind of carbon to our water usage our biodiversity and we we've done this um, and we're one of the first kind of brands here in the UK to to pilot this to do a new kind of um unpack score so an eco score on on all of our new packs We've done that in, co- in combination with um, a company called Mondra, who I think are now transitioning to Fa- Foundation Earth and they've kind of worked with other fantastic brands to do it as well. So you know really really exciting initiative to be part of and, and for us and our consumers and just our whole ethos of Mighty, you know everything we do has to be sustainable. you know we've kind of said that from day one. So we thought if we're gonna if that's what if that's what we believe, let's make sure we stick it on the front of our packs.
0: Absolutely. That's great. And what I find very interesting about these uh, scores, the eco scores that are coming through the market is that they really can help the consumer to uh, compare and put um, environmental credentials in perspective, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you look at the back of a pack and oh, really when you buy something from the supermarket nowadays, one of the first things people do is, is kind of sp- turn the product around and look at the back, kind of look at the fat, the salt, all those things. Yeah. But you know, what, what you're going to, you know, I would imagine see more and more of is actually people kind of going, well, what's the, what's the, what are the eco credentials of this product? You know, and it's really interesting with the, the Mondra piece that we're doing. So fortunately the whole mighty range scores an A on the kind of eco credentials, but to kind of give context to that, like, a, a, you know, punnet of blueberries would score a C interestingly because Mm. of the water usage and something like mints so animal uh, mints would score an F so you can kind of see that scale of actually what it takes to get um, you know one one of the top grades it's really interesting.
0: Very very interesting absolutely. Um, So Tom in terms of um, the Main ingredient. So pea is quite niche as an ingredient um, in dairy in alternatives. And you started the company in, in 2019. So I was wondering, can you tell us a bit more about how you um, decided on this ingredient? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So kind of start started the company with my brother Nick, who's who's the co-founder um, and, and business partner. And we um, both we, we don't drink dairy, so both of us are right. lactose intolerant. And we kind of in, in the US had tried a, a pea milk kind of, you know, many, many years ago, it must have been about mm-hmm. five years ago or something, and kind of learned about its credentials, learned about its sustainability credentials. And we just couldn't believe that there was nothing like it here, to be honest, in the UK or the EU. There was, you know, pr- at that time pretty limited with, regard, with regards to the kind of dairy alternatives that were available. So we said, right, you know, we need to quit our jobs and we need to start selling pea milk. And everyone was, you know, fair enough said that's that's absolutely crazy guys don't do that like pea milk that mm-hmm. sounds you know mm-hmm. pr- pretty crazy but we got to we got to work in nick's basement trying to you know cook up um well i guess what would be the first iteration so we kind of got some water and dates and, and yellow split peas and it was kind of like a scene out of breaking bad um, so you literally
0: did really- it yourself
1: yeah, we all well, be we tried to in the first instance, right. and we quickly learned that it tasted pretty terrible. Kind of cooking it in Nick's basement, and actually, we need <laughs> yeah, and actually we needed some some much uh, smarter people and some much better technology and equipment to to kind of crack it. Which fortunately we've we've got now.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, uh, I was curious to ask you what are your backgrounds. Um, what were you doing before uh, starting Mighty? Were you in the food business or was it a complete new area, uh, space for you guys?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So well, I guess Nick Nick to start, um, he was at Asda, so Asda Walmart right. mm-hmm. for, for a number of years. And then he started a, a food and drink kind of consultancy business that been, my family have always kind of been in. I was down at Mondelez, so Cadbury's, you know, loads of free right. chocolate. Um, uh, f- fantastic and then i kind of teamed up with nick um, in the food consultancy business we had prior to to mighty um, and we did that for you know uh, around eight, eight or ten years of just completely learning about the fmcg trade i mean that's that's always been our experience dealing with major supermarkets dealing with food and drink products so we've always we've always known we were going to do something um but we spent you know a number of years trying to figure out what exactly that was going to be. So when we came across P milk, it was um, it was the first time we were like, right, let's dive in off the deep end. We've we've got to go for this.
0: That's fantastic. So a lot of uh, very relevant knowledge, a lot of very relevant uh, expertise for this launch. It's it's amazing. And how long did it take um, for you guys from going to we need to start this business to having the first prototype, the first uh, product? Uh, ready to launch
1: oh, far far too long than i'm prepared to admit <laughs> um, <laughs> is is the truth you know we, um, mm-hmm. we we had to do a number of different iterations fortunately in you know da- down south in somerset we managed to you know find an absolutely fantastic um, manufacturing partner who really kind of enlightened us to the world of dairy alternative milks and, and how you know you should actually make them and the, the, what's really required to, to you know produce for the supermarkets on mass at scale you know to a high quality um, so it took us a long time I'd probably say you know about 18 months for us to be really happy mm-hmm. with it with the product and it's probably only now today because we're, we're constantly making refinements um you know using new bits of technology so yeah. we're, we're constantly kind of innovating our own recipe it is the truth um, sure. So, you know, we're never fully satisfied, we're always trying to innovate, but I would say initially until we're happy, about about 18 months.
0: Absolutely. So, Tom, as a founding team, you had a very strong knowledge and background in food business, um, especially on the commercial side of things, um, and currently your products are stocked in some of the major retailers um, to give a few names, Tesco, Asda, uh, Morrisons, Ocado, and, and so on, around 5,000 in total. Uh, so my next question for you would be, is there something that you can share with us about how to get stocked at retailers and how to stay stocked as well? I, I'm mindfully, I know that we could do an entire episode just on this, but can you give us a bit of, of an idea?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, the first thing to say is it's, it's a huge team effort. You know, it's never just down, it's certainly not just down to me. I mean, Nick, who um, is, his whole life has been, you know, selling into major retailers and that was our job. That was the consultant we had before. And then, you know, the team we've got here, you know, Sam, who's our head of sales, like it's, it's a huge team effort is the truth to get, to get your products overlining in major retailers. Um, I would say, one one i guess i guess it's 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 easy once you start to learn about this industry but one big piece of advice you know you'll typically have one retail buyer you know for your category for your product um you know they must get 10 20 30 40 emails a day from different suppliers wanting you know to, over to list their products so you need to find ways to stand out um you know and, and do that in the right way not not annoy them but but kind of paint a really compelling story to actually i mean first they have a fantastic idea and a, and a fantastic product but secondly you know to get their attention to get some airtime with them um you know find a way to start to stand out and that's kind of something that fortunately over the years we've, we've kind of figured out some some decent ways to do are
0: you are you willing to share Something that it has really worth.
1: I can't be giving away all the secrets. Yeah, I mean, you know, lots of different things from, you know, it sounds simple, but if you say to a buyer, oh, I'm going to send you some samples, um, mm-hmm. there's a good chance they're going to sit in a you know mail room for three months. But if you put together a really fancy package, you know, if you actually... Go sometimes as far as to kind of deliver it yourself. I'm not saying you wait outside the retailer head office. I'm definitely not saying that to do, to deliver it to the buyer. But it's you know that that kind of extreme of I, I'm going to find out who this buyer is. I'm going to find out a little bit about them. I'm going to make sure that you know when I get my chance to be in front of them, I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch this product exactly how it needs to be pitched i'm going to understand the category i'm going to understand the space we're going to play in and why it's going to be incremental to their category you know your job as a supplier or as a disruptor brand is to firstly excite the buyer but secondly make sure you paint a really articulate picture on you know why they need to list this product and 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 kind of really paint that clearly to them um, I, I would say that's that's you know one of, one of the things that sometimes people get wrong is just to go oh my product's great you need to list it well it's it's not as simple as that you know try and try and evidence it try and provide some you know statistics behind it some category data you know all that good stuff to really get get the buyer on side I would say that's that's absolutely paramount
0: absolutely absolutely. And in terms of uh, some next plans you have for the brand, can you tell us something something about next um, activities that you have in mind or next yeah. expansions?
1: Yeah, of course, absolutely. I mean, it's, um, it's you know, like any, any startup, you know, we're, we're seeing pretty pretty reasonable traction. So, you know, every six months here is, is feeling like six years with the pace that we're going at. I mean, we launched... We launched in Tesco only in January and we're about to kind of double our skew count there. We've just launched our new um, uh, plant-based milkshakes there. So we've got a chocolate and a banana one. We're about to launch our barista milk there, which is a brand new kind of barista milk. Um, we've, we've made to kind of replicates the flavor of dairy and it's a PO and coconut cream blend, which is really kind of innovative um, barista plant milk, but it's got some absolutely fantastic feedback so far. So from that perspective, um, you know, we're constantly kind of launching new products. I don't know when this is going out, but t- today we lodged in co-op, so I can definitely reveal that one. Oh,
0: so, congratulations!
1: Which is really cool, and there's an um, Asda as well. Um fantastic. Which, yeah, Absolutely fantastic. So, you know, I guess for a, for a brand that's only been around for you know a short amount of time, to have kind of Tesco's with Asda Morrison's co-op, uh, M&S just, you know, been, has been pretty cool. It's been a, a really, really steep learning curve. <laughs> um, you know, we've had to scale at, at quite a pace. Um, but we're just all about innovation. You know, we're building the team up quite, quite quickly. Um, so MPD, disruption, all of that's kind of at the heart of what we do.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, you touched a few very, very interesting points that I want to explore further uh, the team uh, the innovation the uh, mpd in terms of the team um, how many are you guys now how big is the team and in terms of the split of responsibilities between yourself and your uh, your brother your co-founder can you tell us a bit more uh, about that
1: yeah absolutely so the team by i think the end of september will be just short of kind of 20 people so mm-hmm. not not a huge team at all um, and there are some benefits to that you know if you're in a smaller team, it means that everyone's kind of taking ownership of their own kind of thing. It's quite an entrepreneurial environment. It's, it's pretty fast-paced, but you know, whilst we are a small team, we're also pretty quick. So we don't—it's not a you know forty-two gate process to get something approved or, or over the line. It's pretty much just a conversation in the office, and it's like, right, let's do it, let's go, let's start. You know, selling pea milk out of a milk uh, milk crate on the road or whatever it might be. We'll, we'll kind of make ideas and and execute them pretty quickly and with regards to kind of the the split to myself and Nick was that was that the next question sorry yes yeah I mean you know because we've we've worked together for the best part of a decade if if not more the truth is we've got a fairly um, kind of symbiotic relationship Mm -hmm. in that you know we I mean, really, now I would say it's probably separated out more that Nick kind of really kind of owns the the sales side of it and I probably veer more towards the marketing right. and when we kind of share the innovation stuff on the MPD. But, you know, because we're building up the team and, and it's not just us anymore, there's, you know, some really fantastic people that have joined us. So, so you know, whilst Nick and I do share that and a lot of the investment and the investor stuff, you know, Nick and I do take ownership of and ultimately the book, the book stops with us. Um, you know building that team out actually has meant you know it's more about building people up from within and getting people to take ownership of their kind of respective areas of the business which has been absolutely incredible because you know um, you know before Nick and I weren't sleeping we were trying to to sleep at the office there was just no time so it's been um, it's been it's been a whirlwind but it's been fantastic to build a really really great team under us.
0: Absolutely do you sell internationally as well?
1: Yes, we do actually. We do. So um, we, we, you know, we've got a th- some really big plans for where we're kind of going next. Um, but but currently, we are shipping to places like Sweden or Malaysia or Ireland, just you know, all over the globe. South South Africa, in fact, we started shipping to recently. So so absolutely, we started to kind of you know make inroads to build Mighty's presence out. Um, obviously, dairy alternatives all over the world, fortunately, are absolutely exploding. Absolutely. Um, you know, more and more cropping up every day. So it's been a, it's been a product that has been received really well in a, in all corners of the globe so far.
0: Absolutely. In terms of uh, basis of this uh, dairy, dairy alternative milk, do you think you will stick to pea, or do you think you will, um, you know, venture also in, a, in other bases?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as, as a brand, we've started to transition more towards Mighty. And, you know, whilst yeah. uh, using yellow split peas is a large part of what we do, you know, we're not we're probably not just going to be the, the pea milk guys. You know, there's there's a lot more that Mighty can be and, and is and is becoming, um, you know, with all our products. You know, we, we use the pea protein to make sure that we match cow's milk on, you know, protein content. But if we look at things like our barista milk, which contains coconut cream and oats, um, you know, we are starting to venture out into other areas, yeah. and, and that will probably become a big part of what we do. I, I can't, I can't reveal all the full details here because the MPD guys will will shoot me if I if I reveal too much. But we do, Secret. sure. Yeah, we do have something really special lined up for the end of the year, which is probably something the, uh, the no one else in the, in this category or space has seen yet. So I won't, I won't say too much more because I, I will get shouted at. But we've got some cool stuff on the way.
0: Very, very interesting. Can't wait to see what that is. <laughs> now I really can't wait. We'll send you samples. Absolutely. Thank you. I would love that.
1: <laughs>
0: Can you tell us something more about uh, the fundraising rounds that you that you raised uh, to date?
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So um, we've done quite a few now. I think um, we kind of started off like most no, startups do with uh, one pretty much angel investor mm-hmm. who actors from that first initial round all the way to this one who you know have a massive kind of uh debt and gratitudes towards um and we've done i think uh, maybe four or five now um mm-hmm. and it's obviously raising money is is quite a, a learning curve if you've never done it before you know there's lots if you're a founder or a startup that you have to consider um, you know everything from making sure you get the legals right to uh, you know valuing your company and dilution and what that means and it's just it's just a whole world and and you know one thing I think we've learned and um, a lot of other founders have said to us is that raising money is a full time job and there's a lot there's a lot of truth in that you know especially kind of the bigger you get the more you have to fund the big the, like kind of the more you scale it's um it's a really big part of what a founder does and of course you know. It's no matter if someone gives you two hundred and fifty pounds or two hundred and fifty thousand pounds or two million pounds, whatever it is, you know, you have a responsibility to that person to make sure or that, that organization to make sure that you perform. Because, you know, when you take other people's as a business, you um there's a lot of responsibility to it and sure. you kind of People, people celebrate doing these huge fundraisers and it is fantastic but you have to remember you're also giving away some of your business to do that so whilst it's important and it's especially important if you want to scale fast you know it's not so much about oh look how much money I've raised it's more about actually what are the success metrics behind what we're doing you know our consumers loving our product how we, how are you know sales doing how you know as a team as a culture how are we doing so you know, investing and the investment side of it is huge. You know, it underpins most, most startups. Um, but, but yeah, don't, well, I guess one thing i definitely say is don't, don't always be, be too focused on trying to raise huge amounts of money. Try and try and be smart with, with the money that you raise. Every time you raise, you raise money. I mean, ideally you should have from the next milestone of, you know, ticked a number of boxes from where you tried to get for the last one, implemented that money correctly um and ultimately you know every business aims to if not become profitable then at least get to that break-even point so yeah you know it's it's important that you are kind of having goals and measuring yourself whenever whenever you're raising money and making sure that each round actually have we got further along have we you know and of course like you make, you probably make mistakes and you'll probably spend some money somewhere that you know didn't work out as well and that's that's just part of the learning curve um but but absolutely having having goals and, and metrics behind raising that money is is vital
0: Absolutely. And for you, the uh, investments came mainly from crowdfunding, right? Or did you have some big institutional investor that also contributed some strategic advice?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we started off with kind of an angel investor, and then we did a crowdfund. And then the last few rounds have really been kind of institutional. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. you know fairly fairly large entities kind of backing backing mighty and with each of those things be a you know an angel investor be a crowdfund or be it you know vc or 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 venture capital money whatever it might be they each come with their own kind of upsides and downsides obviously the scrutiny gets much more intense and the due diligence much more intense the further up you go um we've we've kind of yeah i guess we've kind of been been through it all along those (laughs) those steps so um so yeah it's been interesting
0: Yeah, as a full-time job, as you were saying. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I know you are now part of the Tesco Incubator uh, program. Uh, Definitely a great company. Some other super interesting brands like uh, Nimble. We had a few weeks ago on the show, actually. Um, Dr. Willis and other great ones. Can you tell us a bit more about the program? Uh, How did you get into it? What activities and support, for example, are you receiving?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is one that I won't, I won't take uh, any credit for. Is the truth. This is really, you know, Nick, Nick, the uh, my brother and co-founder was the one that really pushed to get us on that and did a fantastic mm-hmm. job in doing so. And I know that him and, and the um, the sales guys have been really leading the charge on the Tesco incubator program. But it's been, it's been, you know, absolutely amazing. You know, Tesco are you know a huge retailer and they can you know put your brand into a, a large number of stores and really kind of change change your your business overnight so to have a close relationship with Tesco to get that level of support and advice and strategy and you know to to be on, on a scheme like that alongside really cool brands from the past like uh, I don't know Grays or Propercorn or whoever it might be it is absolutely incredible but but as a as a kind of support function to a to a disruptive kind of incubator brand like, like Mighty, it's been it's been a absolutely game changing.
0: What kind of activities or what kind of um, I suppose I don't know meetings you have with them? How does it look like?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's it's at all levels. To be honest with you, it's it's discussing you know your MPD for the year. Um, it's discussing you know how you're going to implement you know. D- Discussing the kind of data that you receive and and who your customers are, um, just just a whole world of insights into how to really do a fantastic job at retailing your product, which is kind of the support Tesco, uh, the Tesco Data Scheme provides. Um, you know, typically, you know, as I kind of mentioned at the start, you, you're fighting for airtime with your buyer. You might, if you're lucky, get to see them once every six months, probably even less <laughs> over the past past year or so. Um, and the Tesco incubator scheme is completely opposite to that. It's about a, a complete kind of partnership, you know, the level that these huge companies normally get who have, you know, joint business plans and what, and what have you, but you kind of get that interaction with Tesco as a smaller, disruptor brand and to, to a brand like Mighty, that's just been invaluable.
0: I was wondering if you could give some indication on what could be different challenges at different stages of a company. I understand your company is still relatively young, obviously, Um, But what were some challenges that you found during, um, you know, along the way and how did those change um, with you growing and with scaling and the different phases of the company so far?
1: Absolutely. I mean, talk about the challenges. How how long have you got? (laughs) Boy, boy, to tears with this one. No, there's been at at every stage. There's different challenges, Um, you Mm -hmm. know, you just starting it and it's just yourself has entirely different challenges to when you've kind of got a team and you're needing to build a culture. I suppose really kind of obvious things to say, but I think most founders probably have to have to have it is is resilience. You know, no matter what stage you're at, you have to have confidence and a little bit of of ego, but not too much in yourself to succeed. You know, it's, it's absolutely vital. You have to believe in what you're doing. Because as a in a startup and as a founder, you're going to have, you know, whereas maybe in past roles for me, speaking from experience, you know, life can be much more, you know, living in the middle and it's not too up and down. With a startup, you know, the highs are the highest highs and the lows are the lowest lows because it's you know so extreme and it's your business and it's your your baby that you you've set up. So resilience is absolutely key. You know, learning learning about your product and it sounds like an obvious one to say, but inside out. So, you know, you know, everything about your competitors, you know, everything about who, who buys your products, you know, everything about where you sell it, just knowing your whole world inside out, you know, which naturally does happen over time. I, I found to be absolutely essential into, you know, us starting to get some really great traction, I would say is an important one and just all, all the other things such as, you know, when you get a bit further along building a team, You know, that comes with its own kind of complexities. You have to establish a culture. You have to get in the right people. You have to decide what kind of company you want to be. Um, They're all really, really big ones because ultimately, you know, we always talk about, oh, founders have done this, founders have done that. And whilst that's true to an extent, it's the team. It's the wider team that will actually, you know, get your company to that next level. And it's the, the people that you bring on board for the journey. So establishing a fantastic culture with great people, I would say, is especially that's something we're going through now, um, an absolutely key learning
0: um, In terms of the culture how would you describe it? How is the culture at Mighty?
1: Yeah, I mean, so it's an interesting one really in that, you know, having come from a pl- uh, quite a corporate background like uh, Mondelez, ca- Cadbury's, or yeah. you know, everyone else who's come here from other places be it, you know, Holland Barrett, Boots, you know wh- wherever um, obviously, it can be sometimes quite a culture shock when you move from that big entity to a smaller kind of company, especially if it's around, you know, 20 people, in that There's not loads of uh, barriers. There's not loads of people. It's not as segmented. So, you Mm -hmm. know, there's a lot of crossover in your roles. Um, I say, as a culture, we are all quite entrepreneurial. You know, Nick and I are not of the philosophy that we, we want to micromanage people or anything like that. I think there's, there's nothing worse. You just need to trust. You have to trust in people to do, do the job that you've, you've kind of set out for them. And, and, you know, if you treat people well, normally they'll, they'll, they'll treat you well and treat your business, you know, exactly what, how, how you want. Ultimately, no one will bleed as hard for your business as yourself, as, you, as you'd expect. And that's the way it should probably be. Um, but treating people right is absolutely essential to to getting the most out of people. And I think, you know, so some companies get that absolutely spot on and sometimes companies miss the mark. But in a startup, I'd say it's something to really focus on.
0: And in terms of uh, hiring the people, how did you go about it in the sense uh, of different positions? Though? So which ones did you hire first um, and which ones did you focus later on? How did you? How did you go about building the team?
1: Yes, it's a good question. For some reason, the first hire we ever made, I think, was um, Nina, who is now our sustainability and community manager. Right. At she was at so we the first hire we made was, was kind of a social media manager, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. Um, and also, Nina kind of put the website together for us. So she was kind of doing loads of different bits, bits and bobs. Is, is the truth. Um, I don't know why that was kind of the first one that we thought to make you think maybe maybe sales or marketing or something but she's been absolutely fantastic fantastic for the for the business and you know she's still with us now she's been f- first employee absolutely absolutely brilliant for us and gets gets stuck into everything um and then it was really just about well actually you know now we've got a bunch of you know major retail listings what support do we need there and actually we've got kind of you know to really raise awareness how do we need to build the marketing team and suddenly you know our e-commerce is really starting to take mm-hmm. off so how do we build out that, that team and it's really just you know, it probably sounds a bit, um, a bit reactive because I guess that's what it was. But it was more about building the team out as the problems arose.
0: Sure. Um,
1: we didn't just kind of go, oh, we're going to hire 15 people and, and hope for the best. It was more about actually let's focus on this now and this now and this now. One thing I think we probably could have got better, and I guess lots of founders will think this is, hiring a team a lot sooner. So beginning to hire people way quicker. And there's always an element of control when it's your business. You know, it's your baby. You don't always want to hand over the reins but ultimately as I say like you have to trust in people so I think um, I know a few farmers have said this building a team quicker if we could go back is, is something we would have done because Nick and I um, have had far too little sleep in the last four months.
0: You touched a lot of, uh, of very interesting points I just wanted to go quickly back to the innovation side of things the the MPD um, how do you tackle that? As in, where do you get ideas from? I guess, is there a process that you follow?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's a bit of a mix and match process. Um, I know that sounds a bit ambiguous in that, you know, obviously you can see what your category is doing. You can see things like, oh, actually barista milks are doing really well. We don't try and pay too much attention to what any of our competitors are doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think, you know, Mighty as a brand is quite innovative and it's quite, you know, exploratory in, in the directions we're willing to go so we don't try and just you know we'd never just do a me too product we'd never just say oh we'll just launch an almond milk or right. we'll just you know launch a we'll never do that so for instance we you know oat milk's in insane growth. It's, you know, growing at over a hundred percent year on year. I mean, every man and his dog's trying to launch an oat milk, just a normal, but to us, it was never, we we're never just going to do that. So we kind of took, well, what is mighty? We took the great nutrition. We took the fantastic taste. We took kind of the natural ingredients and went, well, what would our spin on oat milk be? You know, so we have a protein oat milk, which, you know, for instance, most oat milk has zero grams of protein, um, in, in a single 250 mil glass and we have eight grams so the same as cow's milk and then it was okay so actually we're solving a new problem in the oat milk category and you know as far as i know we're still the only protein oat milk out there that you can get in places like sainsbury's and tesco but it, it's just that whole process of well what what if our innovation how are we going to get to it you know number one it can never be a me too product number two what's our, what is our brand and what makes sense for our consumers and then number three actually kind of getting in a um in a lab with the, with the super fantastic uh, lab technicians and MPD technologists we have and going, right, what mm. can we cook up and how can we do it? And we'll say to them, look, you know, here are the bonkers ideas we've got. And they'll go, well, here's reason one, two and three why that definitely won't work. And eventually you end up meeting somewhere in the middle where you do get something you know, really great and they kind of bring it to life and, and scale it. So that's probably a bit of an ambiguous answer but that's that's typically how most of our MPD has, has tended to go.
0: Very, very interesting. I was um, wondering in terms of your entrepreneurial journey, um, if you have always wanted to be an entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> everyone always asks us that. I'm always a bit flummoxed by it because I think, does anyone, uh, may, maybe some people out there who are like nine ten years old, like, oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. But I think for us, actually, it wasn't that. It was more, you know, well I suppose it's interesting actually we've always been other than our first corporate jobs we've always done our own businesses so I guess we've always liked that that freedom element to us has been really important building our own culture um and you know building kind of it sounds super cheesy but a dream and a you know a mission that you really believe in has always been important to Nick and i um so yeah I guess from that perspective it's always been we're gonna we're gonna be entrepreneurial in what in what we do um but I, but I think it you know there's Part of me, definitely at times, has thought, God, I wish actually, you know, it would have been easier if I was much more happier to, to kind of be part of a, a different company and, and work for someone else and all the benefits that come with that. But unfortunately, I think the way that we're, we're kind of programmed and built is that we we want to kind of do it for ourselves and we want to scale it. And we are we are quite ambitious, as I know all, all entrepreneurs are. And, you know, there's some great sides to be an entrepreneur and some tricky ones too. So I don't think either side is right, you know, being an entrepreneur versus, you know, uh, Being a colleague and working for someone, I think there's pros and cons to both is is the truth.
0: Absolutely. As a founder, who do you turn to for advice? It's great because you have your brother. Do you have someone else or some community, for example, that you turn to for advice?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's a bunch of different things. Firstly, we do talk to other founders. um, And I think one thing I'd recommend for any... Um, any startup or you know challenger brand is try and talk to other founders. You know, for instance, Nick and I. You can always reach out to us if you ever wanted to just talk about business because we we do that with other people, and it's, it can be quite a lonely journey entrepreneurship. You know, um, especially if you have never kind of launched a business before. So so speak to other founders, and you'll quickly realise actually all the problems you have a shared. Uh, across the board they're not really normally unique to your business they might they might be different in some ways but overarchingly people will share share the same problems. so to talk to other founders would be one um and say the second one would be i think we've been really lucky in our in our investors in that we've got some absolutely fantastic uh, kind of mentors who have helped and advised us and you know granted us access to opportunities that as this, you know little old two and a half year old mighty would have never had um, which has been absolutely paramount, and then the really obvious ones like uh, you know our our mum and dad for both Nick and I were super um, encouraging of us being entrepreneurial and trying our own thing. They never encouraged us to play it safe, so I know that that kind of plays into it. So talk to other founders, you know, if, if you're fortunate enough to get some really great investors and mentors in your corner, that's a huge asset. Um, and and for me and Nick personally, I know that, that family plays a big part.
0: And I really like this idea of the whole family somehow. Uh, involved
1: oh it's the best I mean it's the best because family will tell it how it is you know there's no uh, (laughs)
0: they'll
1: just they'll just tell you straight uh, which is which is what you want sometimes in business
0: absolutely absolutely do you have a motto or a principle that you run the company by but also that you live by
1: yeah I mean there's a few a few different ones I mean one that's kind of a more corporate uh, one I suppose you'd say that we have mighty for you and the planet too and that's the idea that you know, all the products we make have to be nutritionally smart and super sustainable. So Mighty For You and The Planet 2 would, would be kind of a huge one. Where, um, you know, I know Nick and I talk a lot about The Obstacle Is The Way, which is a really fantastic uh, book. I don't know if, if you've ever read it or heard of it, but it the whole premise of it talks about, it's, it's all about resilience, really, and just goes mm-hmm. through people in impossibly tricky situations or difficult situations. And actually, you know it's not about avoiding obstacles and resistance it's about understanding that that's the way forward so we, we talk about the obstacle is the way a lot which has been, been really helpful I'd say yeah on a more personal note that one and a more <laughs> corporate note might be for you on the planet too
0: you mentioned resilience uh quite uh quite a bit and in your experience so far um apart from uh resilience what else do you think it takes uh to be a food entrepreneur and really build a brand in, in this sector
1: uh, yeah apart from resilience that's a great question um you need to be you need to be okay to this is super obvious but you need to be okay to fail mm-hmm. um i keep hearing that a lot a lot lately that you know the most successful people fail the most and i think there's a lot of truth in that you know mm-hmm. you're going to get things wrong starting a business you're going to make mistakes you know things aren't going to go right and you have to be completely okay with that so getting things wrong is an absolutely huge, huge part of being an entrepreneur and accepting that and failure is not is not final in the sense that like you, you know you'll you'll come back if you're if you're someone that's scared to make mistakes and scared to fail like uh, you know entrepreneurship might not be for you because it's mm-hmm. actually a big part in in how you succeed. I'm bloody still getting things wrong every every other day here, so um, you know. But but it's okay. That's part of it. And everyone that works here will get will get things wrong. That's that's the way it is. Um, so yeah, not being afraid to fail would would definitely be uh, would be high up that list. I think of other advice alongside resilience.
0: That's a very very good point. Of course, if you never try anything, you won't ever fail, but you will you will be stuck where where you started. Basically, you will never move forward. So it's a, it's a very very good piece of advice. Can you maybe share if if you want a failure that turned into some opportunity or some uh, some achievement?
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean. I suppose a really good one is we, you know, we spend, we made the, so the barista milk we've made, um, this is the second iteration of it. So we made one the first time around, um, you know, which was a, in the old packaging. It was a slightly different recipe, but, you know, we made, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of cartons, you know, a huge kind of expense. And, you know, we plan to launch it in the coffee trade and we plan to launch it in the coffee trade around uh, March 14th, 2020 um mm-hmm. so you know we yeah exactly so we made all this production we do invested in loads of marketing you know we were going absolutely huge on this kind of coffee launch and then of course the world shut down and all the coffee shops shut within a week and actually we went oh god like you know what what we're going to do here with all this stock i mean you know at, at the time it was absolutely you know desperate and really tricky and it was oh you know this is a complete disaster but actually The truth is, it's given us 12 months to go back, completely remake the product, put it in new packaging. You know, the product we've now got inside is 10 times better You know, it's just overarchingly a a much better product and execution. And now is the right time as the world starts opening up for us to go back at it. So what initially was, you know, a complete disaster actually has allowed us to go back to the table, get it right as it probably should have been. And, you know, the initial kind of reviews and and sales on it have been really fantastic. So, you know, I guess that's an example of, you know, we made a mistake. We picked picked the wrong time, Um, but fortunately it's kind of hopefully worked out okay.
0: Absolutely. And that's fantastic. This ability to reinvent and to react, other impacts of, of COVID on, on your business.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, COVID was, I suppose in, especially in those first few months, it was terrifying, wasn't it? Mm. And that no one really knew what it was and everyone was, you know, you know, panic buying. We we actually saw, you know, supermarkets limiting the number of cartons of milk we could sell because right. basically it was just getting cleared off shelf and um, because people were, were panic buying. So yeah. from a cash flow and supply chain perspective that was pretty difficult to contend with um and then of course you know working remotely and we so what's interesting is we kind of went into lockdown with no no team um and you know came out of lockdown with like triple or quadruple the distribution and a full team so it's been a really strange kind of journey for us in that you know a lot of the company has been built (laughs) throughout a lockdown. So we've had to just, I think as most people have just, just get on with it and accept that, you know, it is what it is and we have to just keep moving. Um, But it it was pretty, pretty worrying in those first few months to be like, oh my God, are we going to survive? What's this going to do for investment? But fortunately everyone stuck buyers, consumers have stuck buyers and, um, you know, I think we've we've walked out the other side, largely unscathed, fortunately.
0: That's fantastic to see how you came out stronger. Uh, on the other side. Very, very impressive. And I'm glad to hear that. So one last question before uh, I let you go, Tom. Um, If our listeners want to interact with you, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you just send me a mail to tom at mytp.co.uk. So tom at mytp.co.uk. I'm absolutely always happy to chat with any other founders, you know, whatever it might be, if it's business related, if it's kind of you know, emotional or mental related. Because I know how tr- tricky it can be. You know, I, I always try and chat to other founders about it, and I'm always happy to have uh, to have anyone reach out and speak to me if they wanted to.
0: That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Tom. This was really, really interesting, and uh, thank you so much for your time. I'm sure it will be very useful for a lot of other founders uh, that are listening.
1: Thank you so much.
0: And thank you for listening. I'll see you in the next episode.